So we're kicking off a new series and uh, kind of going off of what Pastor Joe McDaniels spoke about last week. You know, there's a lot of things in the church world that people tell us to do and not to do. And so I'm, I'm breaking all of those church growth model things by kicking off a series on a holiday weekend. But I, I wanted to do that for a reason because I think what we're talking about uh, is something that I really didn't want to delay. I wanted to dive into it. I didn't want to just do some one-off just because I had to do a one-off. I really felt... Like what we're speaking about this week and over the next several weeks is something that's not only important to the life of our church, but it's certainly important to the life of the church. And I think it's important to your life as a believer. And I think it's something, actually, this is not a think. I know this is something that you and I both struggle with. And it all kind of comes around this idea of evangelism. I mean, I want you to sit there in your seat really quickly and answer this question. When is the last time you told someone, specifically a non-believer, someone who doesn't go to church, who's not a Christian, when's the last time you shared the gospel with them? I mean, really think about that. I'm a pastor, and that's a difficult question at times to answer. I can think of different periods in my life where I would go, when is the last time without not, you know, with, take away the stage, take away the, the church context, when is the last time I just spoke about the gospel or my testimony with a non-believer? I think it's something that in the new church today, maybe we're nervous, maybe we don't feel like we're equipped enough, and so it's something that we kind of just push back. We know, because pastors get up here and yell Matthew 28, so we understand there's a responsibility to make disciples and, and make the word known, but there's a tension there. And uh, that's what I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks is the tension. And, and what I hope is that each and every Sunday we leave this place, you have more tools in your tool belt to either A, feel confident that you as a believer in Christ are sharing a story and the results are not of your works. Like, they're far beyond anything you could ever control. And it's not your responsibility to feel the weight of what it means for someone to come to Jesus. It's your responsibility to just tell them what God did in your life. To just tell them who the Lord is. And, and I say responsibility very intentionally. Because I think there's a part of us that goes, is it a responsibility? And the answer is yes. It absolutely is. Just like you look at your child as they turn 16 and you go, this is a, you know, a, a privilege, not a right. This is a responsibility and a privilege that you get as a believer in Christ. It is something that he has called us to do. So there's the, the right to it, but there's the other side of it that is the privilege. We, we have this responsibility and this joyous calling to do that. And it's scary. It's difficult. It's the pastor's job in the new church. And what I'm telling you is it's not my job alone. It's your job. And what I want us to do is walk together in this. And what I hope is over the next couple of weeks, we begin to you know, understand and feel a little more confident in this scary thing called evangelism. Now, I didn't have any of that written, but uh, I decided to share that with us at the last moment. So let me get into what I do have written this morning. Polarization is the division of two sharply contrasting groups or sets of opinions or beliefs. Let me say that again. Polarization is the, the division of two sharply contrasting groups or sets of opinions or beliefs. And this 
polarization happens in our life all the time, whether you are aware of it or not. It happens constantly. It probably happens to you on a daily basis. We choose sides in our life all of the time. I have a couple of slides for us. Jay Mullis, I have a couple of slides as you walk out of my ProPresenter booth. I appreciate that. Thank you. You're going to leave me hanging over here. I have a couple of slides that kind of show this polarization. And so the first one is, well, next. Next. Appreciate that. Keep going. There it is. Nope. Keep going. <laughs> there, thank, thank you. Appreciate you. So, are, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, are you Team Coke or are you Team Pepsi? Like, the, there's, there's a thing in life, right? Me and my mother-in-law do not see eye to eye on this one. I love you, Layla. She's going to get mad at me for sharing that. I'm sorry. I love you. Team Coke versus Team... Some of you are going, Pepsi. You're wrong. Some of you are going, Team Coke. And I know you're a true southerner, right? Others in the room go, how about them dogs? While some talk about some sort of flying yellow jacket. And the Dooleys hated me right then, right when I said that. Georgia versus Georgia Tech. Like we have these different beliefs and opinions in our life and they're, they're not always the same. How about this one? This is, this is a, Amy and I joke about this one. Some of us, we all know what leggings are, right? Some of you are team pants. Team not pants, right? And if you don't know what I mean, find a woman in the room, gentlemen. She'll probably tell you what that means, right? So team pants or team not pants, or here's the controversial one, Democrat or Republican, Ooh, right? Like hush over the room. Or, or what about this one? I think my students have fun with this one a lot. Android or iPhone? Are you a blue texter? Because if you're a green texter, I don't want none of that. Don't text me, like get out of the group chat. Like, that's kind of, that's how that world works. We go on, like, camp retreats, and you get a group of them in a text, and then all of a sudden they find out one of them's a green text. You're like, nah, bro, I'm sorry. This has nothing to do with you personally, but you ain't in it. Like, you're just going to have to figure out where we are and what's going on some other way, because you're green. But divisions are bound to happen in our life. They happen every day, as you see. Whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whatever it is, they happen. Here's the thing. The division alone is not the defining point of your relationship. I'll say it like this. It's not the divisions alone that defines the separating group. It's how the division is expressed. See, you and I can disagree on something, but we can still maintain a healthy relationship. We can still have a good friendship. We can still, maybe you and your spouse have disagreements. Me and my spouse have several disagreements. She's a very strong person, and I'm not, right? So when, I, when we first got married, I learned very quickly that she had gone to the dark side. So she is a Peyton Manning fan, which he's a good guy. That's all, you know, woo, Manning's fantastic. But she would say that he was the greatest quarterback in the NFL. And I would say she has, you know, received the lies of Satan and say, there's no question it's Tom Brady. Like, it's not even a question. For those of you out there thinking, oh, man, it's, it's not a question. Like, look at the stats, right? Tom Brady versus, man, I'm not talking about how, how they are as men. I'm talking about on the field. Tom Brady is better than Manning. Now, I could do a couple of things, right? I could express that in a very cordial manner, or I could be a jerk about it. I'll let you guess which one I do, do the most. But there's a, there's a tension there, 
And that just because she's a Manning fan or I'm a, a Brady fan doesn't necessarily mean that's a, there's a, a dividing tension there. However, if I begin to express my passion for Brady as the best, that's going to make her feel a little slighted, maybe feel a little diminished as a person. Vice versa, she does the same thing to me. I'm going to go, hold on, man. Why do you want to attack my personhood just because you like Peyton Manning? See, it's not necessarily the division itself that would cause tension, but how we express the division in our lives. So if you and I disagree on something, how we handle that disagreement will, will tell a lot about our relationship moving forward. So what does this have to do with us and what I'm kind of talking about this morning? Some of you are starting to see the light bulbs come on. And you're starting to pick up what I'm putting down. Or as a, I heard a middle school pastor say one time, smelling what I'm stepping in, right? You're, you're starting to understand where I'm going. And what I'm calling for is that the church is called to be the salt and light, not salty and lit, right? The church is, is called to be, and, and if you're wondering why I'm going so the crazy with my stuff, the all-stars are in here this morning, so I had to get a little fun with us this morning. But the church is called to be salt and light, not just salty and lit. So in the midst of disagreement, we must remember what the win is, or at least what the win should be. See, the win in a disagreement isn't just to win the battle. I think some of us, my, myself included, believe when we get into a disagreement, it's all about, can I just win that battle? But what if we began to shift our mindset and say, so when we got into a disagreement, what, was, what, if it, what if it was more about listening? What if it was more about understanding and then communicating with love on why I feel about one thing this particular way and understanding why you feel about something in this particular fashion? What, what if we could begin to kind of slow down and say, why is it that you believe that way? Why is it that you hold those values in your life? In this series, we're going to discuss how the church has somehow created this us versus them mentality. And my hope is that by the end of the series, we will have the maturity and the faith to go, we can have disagreements with people who are not in the church, and that's okay. We're going to love them regardless because we have a responsibility, we have a right, we have a privilege to love them. So the first thing in order for us to, to gain a life that's winsome, meaning a gain a life where we share our faith with others, we need to recognize the reality of what us versus them actually means. We need to understand the dynamics of what it means to be a Christian and what it kind of means to be a non-Christian. And that kind of brings us to our, our first place is that God, through His Word, has told us, I mean, told His church, told His followers, that His people would be set apart. They would be very different. I've, I've got a whole list of scriptures we're going to throw up there. I mean, there, there's tons and tons of scripture, and this is just a small picture. No, you keep that up there, that's fine. There's tons and tons of scriptures throughout the Bible that say, as a Christ follower, as a people of God, you are set apart. Now this in and of itself, in my opinion, creates a little bit of attention. It creates a little bit, if we're not careful, of a us versus them mentality. Because what it, what it does is it kind of tells us that we are holier than. We are better than. 
And I think this would be a grave mistake for us. I want to read a passions, uh, uh, excuse me, a passage, passage from Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse three. And what, what I want you to do as I'm reading this passage is pay attention to where we are positionally. So the answer to that is in Christ. Pay attention to how many times Paul says in Christ, and then pay attention to how many times Paul references what we are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, the world that we should be holy, we should be blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the purpose of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which set forth in Christ, is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Men and women who are in Christ are not the same as non-believers. Christ followers are a royal priesthood. They are chosen. They are adopted. They are redeemed. They are foreknown. They are predestined. They are God's possession. They are forgiven. And they are spoken for. Now, let me tell you what this means. It, it really has two kind of implications for us. Number one is that we cannot become puffed up about being Christ followers. We can't get this big chest, and I'll unpack what that means. The second one is we must remember the gift that we receive. So we cannot become puffed up because we're Christ followers. See, Christians or people under the banner of Christ have a tendency to give off the impression that we are better than or we are holier than. Think about the world and how they would view Christians. Think, think about what the world sees from the Christian community. For centuries, the open-air preacher or street corner preacher has stood in busy marketplaces and thoroughfares declaring that people are going to hell. Just a few months ago, me and several college students were walking into the Mercedes-Benz at at, uh, for Passion 2020. And here is, you know, I think it was 60,000 college students. Many, most of that time, most of those people would have been professing faith in Jesus Christ. Biblical view of Jesus. And outside of the Mercedes-Benz, there were people with post signs and pickets, and they were telling us that we were going to hell, right? We, as the Christ followers, are going to hell. And I'm sitting here, like, wrestling this with our students and then with our leaders going, we got to have love. That's a little crazy, but we got to have love. Like, there's a, there's a sense, and, and what I want you to understand and what I was trying to get them to understand is, what does the world see? See, the world doesn't see the Baptists or the Methodists or the non-denom or, or this segment, the world just sees Christian, period. Like there, There's no difference from the world's view of who those people are, but yet we walk into this place 
And somehow there's already an us versus them mentality with preachers standing on the corner saying, you're going to hell for whatever else, you know, whatever the sin or whatever the, the sign says, you're going to hell. And, and, and many of you can probably imagine this. For the last some odd years, it's been happening. In the last hundred years, protesters and church groups have written and displayed hateful signs while yelling at the student walking to class on a college campus or the, the politician voting on new legislation, or the military funeral service. When Amy and I were at Kennesaw State University, I could remember walking to the social sciences building as a sophomore in college, and there was just droves, it seemed like a sea of people. At this time, Kennesaw State was probably the third largest university in Georgia. And there's people everywhere, but then there's this one segment of college kids. They're holding signs, and they're telling people for whatever specific sin that they're going to hell. And I go, is that the way that you want to communicate? Is that really the best way to get someone to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because let me ask you this. What if I cleaned up the one sin that was on that poster board? What, what if the one thing that they wrote down, you know, you're, you're going to hell for this reason. What if I spent all of my efforts on fixing that? Would I still go to hell? Absolutely. And so I'm not sure that that method is a method that Jesus would use. I'm not sure that that method is a method of love. Matter of fact, I'm 90% sure that method is a method of hate. And it creates an us versus them mentality in the world. And we as Christians have to understand, as unfair as it is, the world sees us lumped in with those same people. It just is what it is. In the last 15 to 20 years, social media has grabbed the baton from these kind of people and has now given them a platform, has given really anyone and everyone a platform to air out their thoughts with the comfort of distance. I, I, I'm kind of amused by this. I, I've been thinking about this thought a lot lately. Ever walk through the grocery store and you got your cart, and I know that's getting fewer and fewer. Some of us are like, ordering groceries to our house, but you're walking through the grocery store, right, and you accidentally cut somebody off, or they cut you off, and most people, I would say majority of the time, most people's response is, oh, I'm so sorry, my bad, you go ahead, right? Do the same thing in a car, right? Not the response, right? Not the response that you may give, like some of us are like, ah, right? Hoping that all five fingers are, you know, just like, hoping that everything is going like the best way possible, but there's, there's a place where, oh, hold on a sudden, in the grocery store when I can see the person face to face, it's, I'm sorry, but behind the wheel of a car, it's, you're crazy, what's wrong with you? I have a baby, right? The baby's sitting in, in you know, in, in, in the, the buggy as well, but somehow there's, there's this thing, and it's because we provide space. There's, there's not a face-to-face -face thing, and this is exactly what social media has done. See, social media has done the same concept where you're no longer face-to-face -face with somebody. So we can just pop something down and disagree with them this way. We can put some hate speech that won't seem like hate speech at the time. It's just, oh man, I'm, I'm passionate about this and, I, and I'm rightfully passionate about this. But yet somehow, through our rants, we have become the new raid rage. A road rage, excuse me. How did I mess that up? The new road rage on social media. We post material that we would rarely, if ever, 
say to a single person. Then when that same post creates tension in our comments, we're just flabbergasted that somebody would be offended. I cannot believe they took it that way, right? Or some of us feel vindicated when we get that comment. We go, that's right, you see it. And I I would ask the question, what gives us the right as Christ followers to be so flippant about his truth? What gives us the right to be so flippant with our emotions? Because God's pretty clear with how we should hold ourselves, what kind of character we should have. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Eugene Peterson says it like this in the message. For who do you know that really knows you? I mean, knows your heart. And even if they did, is there anything they would discover in you that you could take credit for? Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? You already have all you need. You already have more access to God than you can handle. Without bringing either Apollos or me into it, you're sitting on the top of the world, at least God's world. And we're right there sitting alongside of you. I I summarize it like this. Who makes you different from anyone else? Wasn't it a gift, Christ follower, that made you different? Wasn't it a gift that called you to be set apart? Then why are you boasting about a gift as if you made it happen? Why do we boast in our goodness? Because it's not there. We cannot live our lives, Christian, we cannot live our lives as if we are the chosen ones with this air about us where we turn up our noses at those. We, we, we are holier than you. We are holy. We are a royal priesthood. We are set apart. We are chosen, adopted, redeemed. But we cannot walk around with a bubble of holiness. That is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders did. And if you read your scriptures, Jesus hit them pretty hard. As a matter of fact, Jesus hit them a whole lot harder than he hit the people who didn't know what they were talking about, who, who didn't know the goodness of God, who didn't know about grace. And yet we in the church sometimes have a tendency to go, we're better than. And I would urge you and I would urge myself to not live that way. And here's how we do it. Point number two, we must remember the gift that we received. Romans 5, 8, but God shows us his love for even that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we begin as we walk with Christ. The longer we walk with Christ, the more we get uh, insulated with Christians around us. Somehow we begin to create this amnesia of what once was. See, we forget where we were. We forget that we were dead, and while we were dead, meaning while we were completely, totally, utterly, utterlessly lost and hopeless, while we were walking away from Jesus, he was walking towards us. And somehow, we forget that. 
somehow we forget what God had done and does do for us. David Trias, come help me out. Hey, y'all give it up for David. Come on, buddy. So to use an illustration, kind of us versus them. Sorry in advance for Pepsi fans. We are, David, come stand right here for me. Here we go. So here's kind of what we look like before Christ. We're just a Pepsi, right? And, uh, and really, what we, if, if we're totally honest, what we really are is we're this kind of Pepsi, right? We're just trash. Like, we're just not any good. This is just who we are. Just an empty Pepsi. Maybe I should, you know, give it some more. The engineers in the room are going, yes, airflow, right? But this is, this is who we are. We're just empty, dead people walking through this world. And we somehow, some way through following Jesus, we forget that this is who we were. We forget that this is the life we lived. And, and this is exactly why we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8. This is who we are when Jesus comes after us. This is who we are. But then something happens. David, help me out. All right, so what you're going to do, David, and it's a little high. I should have thought about that. I'm 6'3". I don't think about it much. I'm sorry. So what we're going to do is when, when we pray to receive Christ, when, when that moment comes into your life, when you recognize that you're dead and you're empty and there's nothing you can do for yourself, here's what happens. Jesus dies and he resurrects and he beats, and he beats death. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to pour my spirit into you. Go ahead, David. Come on. Let's not make a mess. Let's do this. Right? And he begins to pour his spirit into us. Pour. Filling us with the newness of life. And he's, he's going. And he's just put, making us new. He's renewing our heart, our mind. It's kind of this pro- process of sanctification. And he's filling us up. You're almost at the brim, just make sure, FYI. And he's filling us up. And, and we got this new thing inside of us, and it's good, and it's a new life. It's walking in the newness of God, and there's strength, and there's great flavor to it. And this is, thank you, Dave. Y'all give it up for David. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. But see, here's the reality. Our flesh is still flesh. It's still this rotten Pepsi. But there's something new on the inside. There's something new happening in our hearts, in our lives, in our mind. And yeah, this skin and flesh is dying. But as Ezekiel says, he gives us a new heart. He gives us the newness of Christ. And so what I would call on you and me today is to not live like the Pepsi. Don't live like this blue, limey kind of thing. Like it's, it's no good. Live as a Christ follower like what you are. You're chosen. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You're paid for. You are purchased. You are worth it in the eyes of Jesus. And he has given you in Christ an abundance to be happy for.
And you can never forget that your outside is still dying. You can never forget that you were once empty. You can't forget that. Because if we begin to forget that, what we forget is the price that He paid for us. We forget the goodness of God. And He, while we were still sinners, while we were dead, empty, nothing, poured His Son out for us. So what does that mean moving forward? I think it means a couple of things. Number one, we can't expect empty, old Pepsis like we once were to be anything other than that. We watched the halftime show of the Super Bowl, and we are shocked and awed, some of us, because we disagree with maybe what the ladies were wearing or the moves they were making. And I go, whether you agree or disagree, whatever, you know, there's some people that are just a Pepsi. This is what it is. We turn on Netflix and we, we're shocked. There's so much TVMA material. We go, why can't there just be wholesome TV? Because there's a lot of Pepsi. It just is. It's just out there. You know, why can't watch TV with my kids at 8 o'clock anymore? I, I hear you. But why is it surprising us? Like, at what point do we go, we just have different morals and ethics. We just have a, we have a different set of beliefs that's spurring us on, it's moving us forward. It just, it is what it is. And I know for a long time, I think, in our country, we have this mindset and belief that there was just a lot more Pepsis with Coke in them. And sometimes we begin to realize there's not as many Pepsis with Coke in them. There's just a lot of empty Pepsis. And, and please don't hear me say that I'm talking about J-Lo or Shakira's faith in, in Christ. I'm not, I'm not judging. I don't know them. This is not that. This ain't, this ain't some little soapbox I'm standing on. What I am saying is when we begin to get squalled up, bent out of shape about how the world reacts, maybe we should give them a little grace and go, maybe they don't know. Or maybe they do, and they just don't have a loving body of believers and go, hey, hey, maybe not that. Maybe we have some better, you know, TV shows. Maybe we put our money where our mouth is, and we invest in, you know, that sappy Christmas Christian movie that just really probably artistically isn't good enough. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of them out there that are terrible. But maybe we connect and we start figuring out a way, because, listen, if the same Christ, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you and lives inside of me, that's a Spirit that can be undefeated. Like, there's nothing that He can't do. And we got to stop living like empty Pepsis and realize, man, there's the newness of Christ in us. We're more than conquerors. We're, we're world shakers. We're people of God who say when we want something that's of the Lord and inside of His will and it's aligned with His principles, His strength, His belief, then God will make it happen. 
That's not some prosperity thing. Please don't hear that. Remember that as you were once an empty Pepsi and Christ filled His Spirit with you, that same message that came to you, the gospel, the good news of knowing who Jesus is, it came to you because it was going somewhere else. That's the message that we need to hear. Romans 10, 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one the heart believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? This is your part. This is my part. And how are they to believe in Him him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We are called to share it. We are not called to bottle it up, seal it away, and put it back. We are called to put it out there and say, this is my story. This is my song. I'm going to praise my Savior all the day long. That rhymes. That's good, right? There's a song out there. I think it's you know, relatively old. But that is what we're called to do. And your view of God is what will enable you to maintain the dignity of those around you while you do it. You were a Pepsi. Don't forget that. You were lost, just as others are lost. And you now, by the grace of God, know the way and the truth and the life. And as I end, Peter, writing to a church, tells us this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, as always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. That doesn't mean shy away from a discussion. No, we should answer. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, because it's coming, when people talk trash about you, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil. See, the world needs to hear good news. Just like you and I did. So let's share it with gentleness and respect. Let's shed this us versus them mentality. And let's run after after God with grace, truth, gentleness, self-control, clothing ourselves in the arm of the Lord, fruits of the Spirit abounding. I think you can do it. I think I can do it. And above all else, I know God can do it through us. So in your son's name I pray.